If we let only the political people engage in the conversation, whether it's about gas prices, formula availability, or something more controversial like guns or abortion, if you only let the political people say it, then it becomes like a political statement and not a value statement. Things won't move to even reflect where the public opinion is unless people get mad and they start talking about these issues and they start saying that this is what's important to them and this that the agenda should reflect what we care about. Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interest in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, this is Jennifer Nassour, your political contessa. I'm here today to talk with a good friend of mine and someone who I know very well, pretty much from her inception of getting into politics and kind of a funny and different path, which I always love. I always love stories of I never thought I'd find myself here. And then all of a sudden we're here together. So I have with me today, Maureen McNerney, who was my campaign manager Not too long ago, though, I think COVID makes it feel like it's been 100 years, but I had met her a while ago, and I'm going to let her tell her story, but I had met her a while ago as someone who worked for a nonprofit that I am on the board of, and then she went to go work in campaigns, and I just saw such talent that I couldn't help but steal her away. But today, Maureen is the Director of Development for the Women's Public Leadership Network, which is a organization that supports women running for office at all levels throughout the country. And it also is an organization that supports my organization that I had founded called the Pocketbook Project. So I'm so happy to have Maureen here today to talk with me about what it's like to be a real campaign operative and to find yourself in this crazy world of politics when you never thought you were going to get in. So Maureen, welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. It's so good to see you. You, as, as always, good to see you. I wish that you were closer and I could see you more. Yeah. So for those who don't know me, I'm now Washington, D.C. based, um, well, on the Virginia side of the river, as I like to say, uh, which has been a lot of fun. But having grown up in upstate New York, I then spent all of my career up to this point in Boston, went to Northeastern, and then had a bunch of great opportunities to work in and around politics. But 
like Jen said, I didn't know going into school that I would be in politics. I originally went to school for graphic design and sat on the floor of the MFA and with a big sketchbook and was just a kind of an art student for my first six months in Boston. Before I had left high school, I got one taste of a, of a required government class in high school and decided then that I wanted to find a way to sort of bridge the two and ended up switching into political communication and then ended up becoming a Massachusetts Republican <laughs> in part <laughs> Because I was studying political communi- communication at Northeastern. There are Republicans in Massachusetts. We're mostly normal. Some are crazy, but mostly normal. <laughs> yeah. So I was fortunate enough that my first real job in college, the co-op. Um, so I was working full time at the Massachusetts State House, And I happened to take that job at the same time that Governor Charlie Baker was being sworn in. Um, so his first six months in office were my first six months in the building and just really fell in love with the approach and the tone and everything and had a bit of culture shock moving to Boston from upstate New York, which is a fairly purple place represented locally by a Democrat, but in Congress by a Republican. And that was always changing as I grew up. So I never grew up with a bias against one party or the other. And my professors in college definitely gave me reason to challenge them on a lot of things that I thought I was just sort of speaking common sense or even just clarifying and telling the truth. (laughs) And they were getting away with what seemed like a lot to me. So sometimes say I would have probably become a Democrat in Alabama, but I became a Republican in Massachusetts and ended up working in the building, working for Governor Baker in his press office and in his office of real estate assets when I was in college as an intern, and then ended up at Mass Inc., which is how I met Jen. And they were just so open and encouraging of me sort of exploring being more conservative, but tackling these policy issues. So we did things like criminal justice reform and brought in folks from Texas. And Jen and I and other conservative leaders could make the case for why we needed criminal justice reform or education reform, economic development of our gateway cities. So just fell in love with the state with that career. And through my personal relationships and friendships I was developing with folks in the press, especially, I was asked to be a communications director on a campaign, which I had never worked on a campaign before. And it was scary and exciting, but I jumped onto my first congressional race in 2018. And then since then, I feel like I've worked a hundred campaigns. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of what happens. Well, I mean, what happens with campaigns is that once someone recognizes talent, then everyone else picks up on it and they grab onto it, right? Like I did, you know, okay, you're not, you're a free agent right now and I'm going to grab you. And that's, I think, what what generally happens, right? Because there's, you know, you have volunteers and you have staffers and you were hungry and interested and wanted to take on new challenges. And I think one thing that was interesting to me is I instantly became like this feminist of looking around and being like, why are there so many of the same guys here all the time? Or why are there so many more guys than there are women in this? And I started to notice all the gaps in confidence that I think 
folks like you, Jen, have helped me bridge in terms of like, you don't need to know everything to jump in. Like you need to work hard and you need to show up and you need to have the skills. But sometimes, I, you know, it was intimidating of like, well, can I really work on a campaign? When you asked me to manage your campaign, it's like, well, can I really manage a campaign? I haven't done it before, but everyone has to do it for the first time at least once. And I think that way more men than women are willing to step into that role confidently and be like, and fake it till they make it. And I've spent the last several years encouraging more women to do that on the operative side, as well as I know that's something you've talked about and we continue to talk about on the candidate side. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you bring up something that women face, right? It's almost like that imposter syndrome. Women face it, whether you're running for office, you know, I always laugh, like men kind of like they wake up in the morning, they brush their teeth, they look in the mirror and they're like, Hey, you know what I could be the next John Kennedy. I could be the next Barack Obama, whoever it is, right? They, they just wake up in the morning and wipe themselves off and think, Oh, this is what I could do. Whereas women need to be asked 10 times before they're even ready to run for office. And I think the same thing happens. And, and I had this conversation with Liz Cranowet from Connecticut a couple of shows ago, but we were talking about just, you know, being a female in the operative space. And I think this is my view. If there are more women operatives, if there are more women campaign managers, and women always get kind of thrown into doing development, you know, doing fundraising on campaigns, right? We're just naturally good fundraisers, which is great, which makes us really good candidates because half of running for office is also the fundraising portion. But I think if there were more women who had bigger roles on campaigns and were the consultants and were the campaign managers, it would also help encourage more women to come out because there's also that camaraderie and there is, and also the new energy, there's different language. Like when I had to run home to my kids, you know, even though you don't have kids, you are someone's kid, right? You know what it's like to have a working mom and to know how difficult it is to balance everything. And so there's a little bit more of an understanding and a lifting up, I think, instead of saying, do you really need to leave? Do you really need to go someplace else? Even when I would go to events, I think we did it so well. And I always tell people like, take your space that you need as a candidate, because you know, you needed to be at soccer games and you needed to be at the gym for yourself as often as you needed. And we wanted to preserve that as a team. And honestly, you know, there are good guys out there, right? Not every guy's a bad guy. Yeah. But when I would say I would go to an event in your place and somebody would say, where is she? And I'd say, she's with her kids tonight. There's a certain tone and delivery there. It's not that I'm rolling my eyes at that idea. It's that I firmly stand in it and believe that's where you should be. And if anybody has a follow-up comment or remark, I can go ahead and calmly ask them to explain their tone or their response to that. And you do see the tail go between legs when people get called out on that their behaviors are being sexist in that moment. And they get away with a lot when we play like the cool girl that can kind of like laugh it off. And that's definitely an adjustment that I've made. And something, again, that I think being in a supporting role on a campaign, like I put up with a lot of shit on the first campaign I worked on. It's just the culture, it's politics, it's whatever. And there's this pressure to just like be a likable person. And stepping into the manager role, I think it empowered me a lot to be 
more confident, like self-assured, direct person in general as well. Whether it was like an average like activist at an event or other candidates or or anybody really. Just as running for office is really important, right? I think for women, because we see the data, right? I mean, the data always speaks for itself. And at Pocketbook Project, we did a poll last year to gauge women's interest on both sides of the aisle of running for office. And it consistently comes up the same. You know, they're not sure if they ever want to run. But the one thing we see is if you have volunteered, if you are someone who volunteers or two or more things in your community, you're more likely to run for office. But then it also becomes you hear these crazy stories. You see that justices have people that are protesting outside their homes here in Massachusetts. Our governor has had people protesting outside of his home. The new mayor of Boston, even though I totally disagree with every single policy perspective she has, she had a point. There are people outside of her home protesting with her young kids at home and her neighbors and So it makes women think twice about it. But again, I think, and this is not a, this is not a feminist show and and we don't like you guys, like we love you, but it is something I think very special and specific to women. And when you are running for office or when you are the campaign manager, the operative, the consultant, it is not like working in a law firm, you know, where like they have been trained over the past 30 years, there are 50% women and 50% men. Now there are 60% women. This is still, regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, it is still the old boys game. And we see that in numbers in state houses and legislatures and in local governments around the country that it's still not even, it doesn't matter what side you're on. So I think it's important. And I think you, especially as a young woman, have a very interesting place to hold and to show other young women, not necessarily young, but someone who, you know, I look at my friends who now their kids are going off to college and they're looking for something else to do and they're brilliant and they took a moment out of their career, but now they're really aggravated, right? The news of the day, whatever it is, whether it's the social issues that promote someone to run or just, you know, your kid is finishing school and it was more important to teach things that don't belong in school than things that actually have to do with their success in their futures. And I think that has propelled a lot of women to get interested, but not everyone wants to run for office. And so I think there's a space that needs to be carved out for them to help work on campaigns and to work their way up to being a campaign manager. And I think that level of involvement, that that opens up a woman's voice in a way that hadn't been open before. Yeah. And to your point about voice, I mean, obviously you and I don't need so much encouraging at this point. <laughs> Maybe it, a right? little less encouraging for the two of us. <laughs> the two of us will shout into the void and, you know, in hopes that, that anybody picks up on it. But One thing that I've been encouraging women to do lately is to write a letter to the editor or an op-ed or anything. I mean, even my mom, my mom is the least political person in the world. She told me in 2016 that her two top choices for president were Chris Christie and Hillary Clinton. So clearly that's not a policy motivated (laughs) decision. She just kind of knew them the best. Okay, great. Yeah. Like, I like that guy. Yep. Okay, mom. But our (laughs) local state senator in upstate New York 
was my teacher in high school. He's been a great friend to our family for years and years after he taught us, he decided to run. And my mom said to me, well, what can I do outside of writing a check? And I was like, well, why don't you write a letter to the editor? People know you, people know you as a businesswoman and people respect you. So if they see your name in the paper saying something, then it matters, you know, and write about the things that you care about, write about manufacturing, which is what she works in. And that, you know, this is what he does. So I helped her write it, but it was, it was completely shocking to her, the idea that she would just put her opinion out there in the world. And again, I cannot tell you how many of the same guys put their opinion out there and are published by legitimate publications that I otherwise love, respect, and read. And I roll my eyes so hard when I see these guys byline. And all they did was start by just giving their unsolicited opinion on everything. And there's not enough people out there that do it. And I would like a lot more smart women to be talking about the issues they care about in a public way. And that is public leadership. It doesn't have to be elected. And then when somebody's looking to put together a coalition or a working group on something or to talk about these issues, maybe to create policy change, they're going to think of you because you're speaking out on it and because you're putting your ideas on paper. Absolutely. So I did a podcast with Gail Huff Brown about, I don't know, months ago, and she was talking about how her daughter, how her younger daughter couldn't find baby formula. That's before there was even an issue. Right. And so I think it's so powerful for people. I was at a a cocktail party not too long ago and started talking about issues because of course I do, because it's kind of intriguing to me to see who agrees with me and who doesn't. And you know, I don't do it in a very fiery way. I kind of throw something out there. I kind of dance around it. I wait to see who comes into my little dance circle and then I keep going. Right. And so, so we were doing this and my friend said, I really need to just have a cocktail party and bring you over because so many of my friends are so fired up right now. And it's like, you just think of the you know, and I use myself a lot as an example, but I drive my little one into school every day and it's like 40 mile commute. And that's just like there and home. And then if I have to go back to go get her, if I have to go do anything else, it's costing me about $200 a week in gas now. It is so aggravating. Now, great. I can go out and clamor about this I can go write an op-ed, but my voice, it's like, I've, I've said to people who have said, why don't you do this? I'm like, well, because I'm almost feeling like <laughs> there have to be other voices. It can't just be me all the time who keeps saying this stuff. And so it's not just me who's feeling it. It's not just me who goes to the food store and, you know, buys food for my family. And by the way, I don't cook. And it's like 400 bucks to go to the food store and not even get meat but just get snacks and the other things that we need for the kids to go to school and whatever else, you know, they're, they're, we're doing at home and it hurts, but this is happening to everyone, right? Everyone has gone through the masks and the vaccine requirements and schools being shut down. And even if you don't have kids, you know, you drive a car, you drive a car, you're a consumer, you go and you eat, you go and you try to, you know, purchase something. And so it's really, I think, important exactly what you said, to write op-eds, to have your voice heard in a different way. You know, I think the Twitter bots, I'm so sick of Twitter. I feel like sometimes a parent I just had yesterday where I was like, just stop talking, just everyone stop talking. <laughs> and, and you have those moments, but writing an op-ed into your local paper 
where someone knows you and someone's, you know, people are reading it, I think is, is an amazing way to get out there. Yeah. And I think if we let only the political people engage in the conversation, like that's why all of a sudden saying something that's common sense, whether it's about gas prices, formula availability, or something more controversial, like guns or abortion in the news these last couple of weeks, if you only let the political people say it, then it becomes like a political statement and not a value statement. Right. And the reality is, is politicians, you know, it's 50-50 in this country. I know it's not that way in Massachusetts. The ideologies split in terms of our representation. Things won't move to even reflect where like the public opinion is unless people get mad and they start talking about these issues and they start saying that this is what's important to them and this that the agenda should reflect what we care about. But most people just sit back, you know, they don't like the outcome and they don't like the process or the dialogue, but they don't take part in it. And I think a lot of people don't take part in it because of this confidence gap. And so the extent to which, you know, you and I push on people all the time and say, it is so worth getting over that. And I still have it sometimes, of course, like, but it's so worth getting over that and participating in the, in the process in any way. And you'd be shocked too, like, how little people care or how quickly they do forget about you. You know, you can make mistakes publicly or you can lose races or you can do whatever things that might seem embarrassing in the moment. And trust me, people will forget about it. Absolutely. So, all right, you bring up something really interesting. So I have a couple of different circles of girlfriends that will talk about political things, right? And so most women I know will not go any further they talk to me and then they know in the circles that I build that when they're confident, right, they know they're not going to get eaten apart. I, you know, their heads torn off because I'm standing there. They know I'm kind of facilitating the discussion. And if it starts going down a path I don't like, I'll move that discussion away. And I know you're the same, right? Where I can be the one who, if you have something to say, you could say it to me. I'm like Teflon. (laughs) There's actually, there are so many mean things that people say that I don't care anymore, that it doesn't even matter. And if you don't like it too bad, but I think that there are a lot of women out there who feel as though their social circles will get hurt if they say what they really believe in. So they find a friend and they walk with their friend and they talk to their friend or it's someone at work or it's someone they've known for a long time. What is your advice on, because you're right, like write the op-ed, get your voice out there. And even if it's a topic that is a really hot button topic, like guns, like abortion, um, something in that, you know, I mean, I've talked about, transgender issues. Those are things. But one of the things I try to tell women and, and maybe yours is different. Maybe it's generational. Maybe it's just from your perspective, from, you know, being out of the Northeast now. But what would your suggestion to women be to gain that confidence, to feel validated in having their voices heard? Because I look at it and I say, I always relate everything back to me. This is my opinion because I am a mom and in my world, this is what I see. This is the advice I give to my kids. This is the advice I give to their friends. So in going through everything, right? So it's like, I could basically take any topic and say, well, you know, from my perspective, this is how I feel, but I understand 
it might be very different on your, what do you see? What are good lead ins for women to have those conversations? Because we do want them to be on campaigns right now. What we know is, you know, going back to Reagan's old principle about the 80%, right? You know, if you agree with me, 80%, I'm botching his exact quote, but basically you're not my enemy. And so I would even lower that down. I would say, hey, listen, if you're married and you get along with your spouse 80% of the time, kudos to you, because I think that that coming from someone who's divorced, I mean, I think that's a really tough metric to get to. So I'd say if you can agree with a total stranger 60% of the time, 70% of the time, that's really amazing. And we need to get rid of the purity tests. So what is your suggestion to the woman who really wants to get involved in politics, but is a little bit nervous that she might sound radical or alternatively have really nothing to say, even though she feels passionately about something? Yeah. So another fun fact about me is probably the biggest thing I do outside of politics is I play rugby and women's rugby is a pretty particular kind of community, a super progressive community in general. and specifically around all the LGBTQ issues. And so I think most of my friends would identify as very far left, progressive, everything, activists, those issues and for those candidates, because ultimately they're pretty close to single or few issue voters and they're supporting politicians that are promoting that. And I don't blame them for that. But that being said, in 2018, when I jumped on a campaign for a Republican, I mean, I had never like it's one thing to work for the governor. He's already elected. It's everyone's governor at that point. Right. So that was a nice way of like easing me into it. And people obviously adored him on both sides of the aisle. Here I was going to work on a congressional race for a Republican who, even though I was aligned with on everything important, right, I knew was a good person. And I could communicate that. And my friends trusted that. It's nerve wracking of like, what are they going to think? And so, I mean, the first thing for most people is if you're worried about having a conversation with someone you already have a relationship with, just don't be. Those people should still love you and should accept that. And I know that in 2022, that is still a possibility that they won't, but it's a pretty small possibility. Politics is such a sliver of everyone's life. I know Dee Dee and Dina talked to you about how they do have people in their life that decided, okay, you know, this is going to be a sticking point or an issue. And that's really disappointing, Mm -hmm. but that's not my experience has been like in really large part. And within my generation, I think that's a big deal that it's happened so rarely. So my first like piece of advice is to build relationships on things other than politics. I mean, I have my work friends. I have my political friends. Sometimes I think the people on my side of the aisle are the first ones to get mad at me over an opinion that they disagree with. Then the people on the other side of the aisle, which, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And that's like the epitome of being in party politics, as you know, Jen, is that we like to have shootouts and lifeboats yep. rather than <laughs> rather than actually talk about the big things we disagree on. Other people, I mean, we're in this time where some of the most controversial issues, there's a difference between the belief you hold or the action you would take. It's totally fair when I hear people call out that pro-choice Republicans then vote against supports for folks when they are born and alive in the world. Like I happen to be pro-life, but I could name off nonprofits. If somebody wants to donate to where that's going to be realized, if she carries that kid into the world that there are supports for her, 
And I've worked with amazing people that are doing that work on the ground. So like, I'm also anti-death penalty, you know, like, I don't know, as, <laughs> as you dig into those types of things, you get a lot more respect back. So as long as you know why, like what thread is connecting you and what is seeing you through, like from your perspective as a mom, you can speak as an authority on many more things than I can. I arguably do not want to be at the podium talking about mom's issues. I will happily support the experts on that <laughs> and be in coalitions with them, right? So sometimes I, I like to use the phrase podium issue as well. Like I might hold a belief or have an opinion on something, but I don't actually have to like take to the podium and talk about it all the time, right? Like right. it's not always my place. It's not every bad law has to be overturned. Not every bad circumstance has to have like a law written to address it. Yes. Um, we can do a lot more as a community and we can hold opinions and we can disagree on things too, but what are the actual actions we're taking? Because there's no point in having a fight over something if neither of you are going to take any action on it anyway. What does it matter if you disagree on it at the end of the day? Not very much. So, you know, have relationships that are built on something more. I started actually coaching in my community down here in Virginia because I read Ben Sass's book, Them which kind of builds on bowling alone. And it's this whole idea that like, we don't really know our neighbors the way that we used to. And we can't have the conversation about, you know, what the the local soccer or in my case, rugby team issues are in terms of getting juice and orange slices to the field. Like, and then like you can chat about gas prices because that hurts everyone without it being like, oh, I'm complaining about gas prices because I think Joe Biden's a terrible president. Like you can actually stop that sentence before adding in the second clause. And then when it's election time, you can pick, okay, there's two bad choices in every election. There's two good choices, two bad choices. I mean, we're lucky if we have two good choices. But you can pick like, okay, well, this person's going to move the needle significantly on this issue that I care about to this degree. And that's what I'm basing my decision on. It's not out of hatred for the other party or whatever somebody wants to accuse you of making your decisions based on. So just sort of think through every opinion that you have that you want to talk about. And I think writing is a great way of doing that because you can either write twice as much and then have to cut it down and realize what do I actually need to tell people or how do I actually want to talk about this? So journaling, writing, publishing, what you're thinking are all great exercises if you want to use your voice. Having relationships with people, trusting them, giving them the opportunity to be the jerk and walk away or to accept you and to dialogue with you about this stuff. And then honestly, choosing your battles for me, it's the podium issue stuff. Like I do not have to argue anytime somebody wants to talk about abortion access. It's not my favorite topic in the world. It's not something I personally agree with or would seek out, but it's not an issue I'm looking to affect change on outside of like the personal individual and religious journey that I have with that issue. So it's like, hey, if that's their podium issue and it's not mine, why do I have to start a fight with them? over it. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny that you say that. Cause I, for basically my entire adult life, anytime I'd be at a party, there'd always be someone who wanted to incite fight about me being a Republican. Now what's funny is I think now I have more people on the right that want to argue my perspective. Whereas on the left, it's like, 
okay, well, you know, you're not, you know, all the way over to one side. So, you know, we can find some commonality. I think it's more within the party and it is the shootout in the life raft, which is really unfortunate. But I always found that I was kind of party fodder. Like I'm going to get her in a corner and I'm going to see if she'll explode on this topic. And it's exactly what you said. Like if it's something that I could one, see someone is really hot under the collar about, then I just let them go and explain their perspective and just say, you know, well, that was interesting. Thank you for enlightening me. And thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. You know, maybe that will give me some pause next time. And if it's something I feel passionate about, I mean, we can talk about, I'll bring the transgender rights up, but the, I have daughters who are athletes. And for me, that is an actual concern having my little petite girls on a field with now you're, you know, eight inches taller than me Um, (laughs) and you would kill me, but I'm not playing rugby. Right. But I look at it and say, you know, it's a safety issue coming from a perspective of a mother. I've seen my kid get knocked out on the soccer field, fly up in the air and fall back on her head. And that feeling is so scary that that's a consideration for me. And so if you feel passionately about it, fine. But like, I would like to find it has nothing to do with people who are transgender and them changing their gender. It has all to do with me, with safety and fairness. And if the conversation always on the left is on equity and equality, then why can't I as a mother use those same terms and say, what are the ramifications to my little girls with this? Right. And so again, it's like, I'm not going to get into a fight. I'm not going to start screaming, yelling over it. It is just, it is how I feel. I'm a mom. I have watched my kid get a concussion before someone could feel very passionately about it because their child did change their gender. And then you, you know, it's like, but why can't we all have conversations And get involved in the political arena, because one of the things that's missing today are people, as far as I'm concerned, being in this business for as long as I've been in it, people just having these conversations, just agreeing to disagree. You come at it from a different perspective than I do, right? I'm pro-choice and I'm pro-death penalty. (laughs) And so, and for me, it's like the pro-choice thing is, I don't think that, you know, I'm a mom. I chose to have children. And I have my thing in my house with my kids, what I believe in, and they know what I believe in. I don't want to put that on anyone else. That is your choice. That's how I feel. But I also believe that if you touch my kids, you are better off dying by lethal injection than me coming after you. (laughs) Yeah, that's not sure words. (laughs) I wouldn't really, but maybe, but if you touch my kids, then, you know. Yeah, honestly, like, and it's just so important to flood the conversation with more diverse voices. And I've been lucky enough to be a part of the board of the Log Cabin Republicans of Greater Boston more recently as we've started this chapter back up. And so, you know, that's the LGBTQ group for Republicans. So they're trying to elect Republican candidates, but they're also, I mean, they're dialoguing on behalf of free market issues to other folks in the LGBTQ community, giving them like the dignity and the opportunity to not have to vote a certain way because of their identity, especially if those issues are not on the ballot and are not something that they're voting for or against, like things that are directly protecting or or whatever their identity. I mean, like the Trump appointed judge wrote the majority opinion granting workplace discrimination rights to folks in the LGBTQ community on the basis of sex and the basis of laws that have been on our books. 
for years. So there's definitely a value in saying you don't have to vote for a certain political party because of your personal identity. And there's a value to saying, hey, there's political power in this group that both parties need to respect and dialogue with. And if you don't understand a certain issue and you want someone to talk about it, that isn't going to just immediately jump down the throat back to earlier in our conversation and call you names or make assumptions about you or say that you're in it for the wrong reasons, that there are people on both sides or people that are willing to have that conversation with people on both sides as well. Isn't that so much like being a woman, right? So being a woman and being a rugby player or being a woman and being a mom of three daughters I should be a Democrat. You should be a Democrat just because on the basis of our sex, basis of our gender, you know, based off of what our demographic description is. And I would love to change that. Right. Because I know a lot of people on both sides who you'd look at and say, huh, I didn't actually know that you agreed with me or I had no idea that you totally believed Elizabeth Warren is the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's like, really? <laughs> that was not what I thought. But I mean, there are people that always, that's why I say I kind of do this little dance of throwing something out there, throwing the topic of the day out there and saying to people around me, did you hear about this thing in the news? Because mm-hmm. you could gauge people's, if you're paying attention, And it's not just you're looking to fill the air. You can figure out where someone stands based off of their first answer, because their first answer is usually the most reactionary before they have a moment to think about it. And then you can kind of weave into it. But I think the more that we, especially we women, get our voices out there and let our friends which is why everyone kind of comes to me, right? It's like, I know who every Republican is every, as soon as I walk into a room because they come up and they want to start talking and they, you know, they kind of self-select. And it was for years, I've said, you know, all the Republicans are out of the closet the second I walk in. <laughs> and I'm, anytime someone goes, I didn't know that person was a Republican. I'm like, Shh, I have <laughs> I've known for years. It's crazy because almost 70%, so it's 69% as of 2021, of American women identify as moderate or conservative as opposed to liberal. So the majority of people are at least saying, I'm not liberal, I'm moderate, or they're moderate or conservative. And that's a Gallup poll that comes out every two years. So that's actually moving more in the direction of center and to the right. But people don't feel that way because what we see as women is we see the squad as representation of women in public office. This is what women's political power looks like. Women's political power is coming from the far left. Um, And that's happening for a number of reasons. In the more progressive places, people are more likely to vote for them. They have the support system, the money, everything to run. You know, Steve Cazella at Mass and Polling Group wrote years ago about if women are going to be balanced in, in representation in government, they have to primary men. That there is a cultural difference between doing that on the left and doing that on the right. Absolutely. <laughs> the right is not there with the primary the men part of that equation. No. There are real repercussions for doing that compared to on the left. But granted, I haven't pressed faced some real repercussions running against Mike Capuano, but it's like she also had this wind at her back that included people like me. That's like, hey, if she's gonna vote the exact same way as him, 
why not? Why why not have it be a woman? I mean, for their for their side of the aisle, you know, if Biden is going to appoint a Supreme Court justice that's going to give these exact decisions all the time, there are a thousand qualified people that happen to also bring diversity to the court in a way that hadn't before. Absolutely. And I think that that goes back to why we need more women voices, why it's so important to have women who, you know, are friends to have you to have women who want to make a change, because at the end of the day, it is the smallest thing that you could do that can leave the biggest legacy and the biggest change. And I just would love for women to know that. So Maureen, it has been awesome to have you on. And I have to have you on again to talk, you know, campaign strategy as it gets closer and to talk about all the campaigns that you've been helping on and what is coming up, coming into the fall and this big election year that we're going into. But thank you so much for being here. I I hope that this inspires you to join in on a campaign, to be an operative, even if you don't want to run for office, just know there's so much more out there to do. So thank you, Maureen, again. And thank you, WPLN, for having someone as amazing as you for guidance and for leadership. We really appreciate it. So thanks for being here on Political Contessa today. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. 